good to see everybody today and uh happy post-resurrection sunday that's right we can celebrate it's sort of like birthday month right you can celebrate it on and on and on i uh i actually just got a continued birthday present from my my sister she uh she's so sweet to me she's uh you know we're both older now and you know she's um uh single and uh treats me like her own her own personal project <laughs> and so so she sent me I, just the other day came home to a whole big Macy's bag full of stuff and she was like send me pictures do they fit you know and, and everything and I was like yes they do thank you and so I, I just I'm saying if my sister can do that for me and my birthday's long gone we could do that for the resurrection right we can celebrate debate the resurrection all day all month all year long and so that's what we do day by day and so it's good to see you today uh, my name is Rollin I'm the uh, lead pastor here and what we uh, were celebrating actually this past Friday, um, make sure you do um, congratulate them uh, as they return is uh, Ryan and Krista got married. And so, yeah, so that was exciting and good. And so um, please make sure to um, celebrate with them as they return. Um, But what we're doing is we are uh, actually going to start a new series. And post-resurrection, what we usually do is we go into the book of Acts and we try to really um, understand what the early church looked like after Jesus' resurrection from the dead and what we as the church today are to look like as his people living in Chicago and uh, serving him throughout the earth. Now, um, this year, however, instead of going right into our series, Chicago Fire, what what I really felt like in prayer and what has been coming up in our prayer meetings again and again is um, a whole idea of pressing the reset button pressing the reset button for all of our lives. And I think it's important um, specifically because of the fact that uh, even this Easter this past year, we uh, celebrated um, as a church our five-year anniversary. Isn't that exciting and good? Yeah, and so we, we, it's a good time. I, I mean, think of that uh, that's one of those milestones where you uh, just sort of take a pulse of how things are going in your life. I, I think that uh, if you're married, that's a good time to take a pulse and see how things are going, right? It's sort of like you get married, you're excited, and you're um, super pumped um, about spending your life with somebody. Body, and then one year, two years, three years, four years, and the fifth year into it, you want to make sure that things are still as passionate and strong, you know I mean, as they were when you said, I do. And so what we're going to be talking about over the course of the next several uh, weeks is we're going to um, go through a series called Rebuilding the Altars. And <clears throat> Rebuilding the Altars is going to be based on uh, the book of Ezra. And if you've uh, not ever read the book of Ezra before, it's in the Old Testament. And uh, we believe here that the Bible is a continued story, an unbroken story of God's creation, humanity's fall, God's plan for redemption, ultimately expressed in Jesus Christ, his son, his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead on the cross, and then his outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon his church, so that his church could actually be a part of his redeeming story, not only starting in the Far East, but also in um, the Near East, rather, but also in our lives and throughout the earth. And so we're going to go through the book of Ezra because what we believe is that even as the New Testament teaches us doctrine about not only who Jesus is and what he's done, um, it talks to us about um, how we're to relate to him. Uh, The Old Testament gives us a picture of how as the people of God were to live our lives. And when we talk about rebuilding the altars, we're able to look at the story of God throughout Scripture and see um, how God has had to, just like us, re-engage his people at different points and different seasons in their life, right? How many people know that Easter is a blessing to us because it helps us to rejuvenate and refocus our faith? Does anybody realize that? It's sort of like God has established, even throughout the Old Testament and throughout the scripture, just different festivals, different feasts, different seasons that we were able to say, God, this is an annual thing that I'm doing. So regardless of how life has, like I've encountered life, regardless of what I've encountered circumstantially, God, you're able to renew my faith. You're able to renew my passion. You're able to renew my focus. You're able to renew my zeal for you. And once again, show me what's important despite what I've experienced in life. So um, when we look at uh, the Bible today, we're going to look at several places.
Ephesus. We're going to look at uh, things in terms of starting the series, Rebuilding the Altars, in terms of rebuilding our understanding of what worship really is meant to be what worship is really meant to be. Many people think of worship and they think of just the songs that we sing prior to a message on Sunday morning, but worship is really to uh, encompass the totality of our lives. Worship is not just something we do, but it's a relationship, right? It's It's an engagement with someone, not just something, but someone. And whenever we look at the need to rebuild the altars in our hearts and in our lives, it's talking about that idea of rebuilding this idea and this understanding of worship in our lives. Because as we go through our days, even as Jesus gave the parable of the sower, we know that there are things that come to choke worship out of our lives, the worship of God out of our lives, right? He says very plainly and very simply, you know, it could be very simple things. When you hear the word of God, you want to worship or it provokes you to worship of the one true God. But what happens is that if you don't understand it, or there's no root system there, even though you receive the word of God initially with joy, because there's no root system, whenever trouble or persecution come because of the word, it can cause the word to be stolen from you, right? Or how about this? Whenever you're worshiping God, even in faithfulness throughout your life, things creep in that are subtle. And Jesus said, it's the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for pleasures or not just bad things, but other things that come in to choke the word, come in to choke worship in your heart, making the word of God unfruitful in your life. So when we're talking about rebuilding the altars, we're talking about actually understanding that I'm not above that, right? I'm not above being susceptible to the things that would try to come in and choke true and authentic and genuine worship of God, the one true God in my life. I want to be aware of it, and I want to know how God has instructed me throughout Scripture to actually be a Christian for the long term. How many people want to be a Christian for the long term? A follower of Jesus, where Jesus actually said that those who endure to the end are those who are, actually go- who are going to actually be saved. It's not enough to just pray a sinner's prayer. Many people throughout this city and throughout the world on Easter Sunday prayed a sinner's prayer, right? And they said, I want to be reconciled with Almighty God. And that was good news for them, and it started on, off on a new track or a new course. But it's not enough to start with God. He says, I want you to finish with me. It's not enough to say, I do at the altar of marriage. It's enough, you want to finish strong and be married throughout your days, right? In the same way, God is giving us instruction in his word about how to rebuild and constantly rebuild the altars so that the zeal that we have in a moment can last us a lifetime. So today, we're going to actually look through the Bible and start with Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're going to start with Deuteronomy chapter 30 because we need to depend on two things when we're trying to build altars of worship for God in our lives. We need to depend on, number one, his promise, and then number two, his provision. Number one, his promise, and number two, his provision for the life of worship that he's given us to lead. And the good news is is that just as Francis Chan said, when we're thinking about worship, we think about God as the one worthy of worship. We think about God as the one who's worthy of all our adoration and affection and praise. Francis Chan said this in Crazy Love. He said, many spirit-filled authors have exhausted the thesaurus in order to describe God with the glory he deserves, his perfect holiness by definition, assures us that words cannot contain him. Isn't it a comfort to worship a God we cannot exaggerate? Isn't that good news? We worship a God we literally cannot exaggerate by all of our superlatives, all of our good words towards him. And it's because he starts off with promises just like these. Let's read in Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 1. It says, And when all these things come upon you. When all these things come upon you. This is Moses at this particular moment talking through the commandments of God, reiterating the statutes that he's given to the people of God. And God in his omniscience, God in his kindness, God in his nature, he 
He made us from the dust of the earth, breathed life into us, and remembers that we are still dust. He remembers that though he is great and he's mighty and he's strong, we'll never be him. When we're Christian, we're called to become like him, his son, but we'll never be him. And when we're walking with him throughout our days, even though we have moments where in a moment he recreates you and you're born again, and you begin to build an altar of worship in your heart and in your life toward him, God in his omniscience also knows that in our frailty, there are times when we go astray. Anybody ever gone astray before? I'm celebrating this, my 21st year of walking with God. 21 years is a long time. Anybody feel, say amen to that? I remember when I was first walking with God and I was sort of like, you know, man, this is awesome. You know, I was bouncing off walls and people were like, you know, going the other direction when they saw me. But I was like, I see you. <laughs> Jesus got good news for you. And then the fifth year came and I had to take my pulse and it was like, man, this is, this is good, but I understand things a little bit better now. And in my 10th year, I was like, wow, this is, I faced some challenges and I was like, wait, hold on now. God's still good, but this is tough. Anybody like walk with God for a period of time and then realize it's not all roses and it's like a little bit tough. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, God, you're still good. I worship you. <laughs> and then in my 15th year, I was like, this, at this point I was married, had not one, but two, not three, but four children. Everybody say, bless you, Rollin. Okay. Okay. And so at that point, you know, the responsibilities of life began to increase, right? And I had to trust God in a new way for all that he's called me to do. And how many people know that over the course of the time, Rollin was not perfect? Anybody? Okay. Everybody, can anybody say amen to that? Okay. Can anybody give me some grace today? How many people know that not only did God have to forgive me for multiple things, but my wife had to forgive me for multiple things? How many people can say amen to that? Okay, all married people need to say amen. All right? How many people know my children had to forgive me for multiple things over the course of that time, right? And sometimes it was the things that were happening in life weren't necessarily the fault of God, even though he called me into his goodness in life. They were my own and my own doing, Right? And all of a sudden, I was all of a sudden walking with God, still excited about who he was. But all of a sudden, I had to look to the scripture and say, wait a minute. Some parts of my life don't actually look like what God promised me. Just like the Israelites, when they were brought out of Egypt, were promised a certain life in God. Brought into modern-day Israel, into the land of Canaan, into the promised land. And he said, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you don't obey me, you'll be cursed. There'll be resistance, right? But I'm telling you, in my omniscience, in my foresight, I know that there are going to be seasons where you're on your high horse and season where you need my, seasons where you need my grace. And that is okay. And I'm telling you, in the seasons that you need my grace, I'm just as much God, I'm just as much your Savior, I'm just as much Lord as when you started with me feeling like you were on your high horse. And that's what he's referring to in the Israelites, their lives and the seasons that he predicts for them. He says, and when all these things, meaning that they're scattered amongst the lands, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. You imagine this, this is Moses sharing the law with the Israelites, and he's saying, hey, listen, guys, I'm giving you the law, but here are the blessings, here are the curses. But when you blow it, is what Moses is saying. How many people would that have encouraged? You're about to go into the land, and he's like, hey, listen, guys, when you blow it, here's a promise for you. <laughs> he says, number one, you're going to be disciplined for it, and that's the good news, is that no matter how old we get, we're always still children. Good news, right? No matter how old you get, I've started to salt and pepper out right here. And it's good, I've been waiting for this. 
salt and pepper. I'm, I'm waiting until I could come and I'll just be like bright and white. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just shining. They're like, what is that bright, shining light? It's like, it's his goatee. Okay, no. It's like, listen, but even in that day, I'll still be a child. I'll still be the child of the Most High God who he disciplines as he's shaping and forming us, bringing us into his promise and into his purpose. And he says, when the things of discipline come upon you, because you're not perfect, you're not Jesus, and at some point you will need my grace, just as you did at the beginning. And you're among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. And then you realize it's not so good there. You realize that you've gotten into some bad habits or you've gotten into some ways that just don't reflect God and don't get his results because you're not being obedient to him. He said, when you wake up there in the land that he's driven you to and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, right? Because whenever you make decisions, it affects the people around you too, right? Anybody ever realize that? The people that you're surrounded by get affected by your good decisions or your bad decisions. And often they start to replicate that, what you're doing. He says, but when all of you wake up and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. And have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart where that altar should have been built. He'll circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, as he took delight in your fathers, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in his book of the law when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God's saying, whenever you start with him, there's a circumcision that takes place. There's a, literally a circumcision that takes place. In the Old Testament, it was a physical circumcision, and it was a circumcision that was done to identify the people of Israel with God's promises. He said, I'm giving you this land, I'm giving you this life, but you've got to be circumcised to be set apart to me. When we're New Testament Christians, the circumcision that he does is in the heart. And the heart circumcision that takes place is where we repent of our sin and say, God Almighty, I'm choosing to follow you in your ways. And by the Holy Spirit, he's cutting away that which once caused us death. That once once caused death to our relationships. That which once caused death not only to our relationship with God, but relationship with other people. And he says, in that circumcision, there's an altar of worship being built. There's an altar of worship being built. And what does that altar look like when it's being built? The altar of worship means that you begin to relate to God as if he actually is God in your life. It means that 
prior to doing anything else in your time, in your pursuits, in your efforts, you're acknowledging him according to the Proverbs, right? He said, acknowledge the Lord in not some of your ways, but all of your ways, and he'll make your path straight. This is worship. It's saying, God, I'm asking you to show me what you want to do with my time, what you want me to do with my resources, what you want me to do with my talent. This is worship, because worship ultimately is sacrifice to God, right? It's basically saying, God, I'm giving you some form of outward devotion, some form of outward affection, some demonstration that you, in fact, are worthy of my adulation. You are worthy of my service. You are worthy of my affection. And not just internally with my thoughts, but externally, I'm showing you that I love you, right? When you worship, you're literally showing God that you love him. You're showing him that you love him. If you are married or want to be married, you need to have this as an expectation, not of your spouse, but of what you will do for your spouse, How many people say amen to that? It's not just what I'm looking for from them, but it's what I'm devoted to showing them. I'm showing them that I love them. I'm showing them that I'm committed to them by acts of service, by kind words, by all of the different things that we describe as the love languages, right? How many people have ever taken that love language test before? Okay, how many people are words of encouragement like myself? Okay? It's sort of like you don't need to see people for like 10 years. If you see them after 10 years and they say, you're so great, and they're like, oh, I love you, we're best friends, right? That's words of encouragement. Or how many people are acts of service? How many people are acts of service? You love when people will do something for you. Well, listen, once you have kids, every one of you will be acts of service. Okay? That is the truth. That is the truth. It's sort of like you acts of service. You love when people come alongside of you and serve you, right? That's something being expressed to you. How many of you are quality time? Quality time, right? Guess who else is quality time? God Almighty. God Almighty is quality time. Why are we here worshiping him today? Because he's quality time, right? He's like, I want your devotion. How many of you are gifts? Oh, see, no one wants to raise their hand there. (laughs) They'll be like, oh, that doesn't feel holy. Okay, listen, listen, listen. It's okay. It is okay. That might be how God made you. All right? Listen, this is, you might be gifts, right? But all of these different things, everybody's physical touch, right? Especially before you get married, you can't wait. And so it's like, listen, it's like, okay, you missed that. That's fine. But this is like, like, it's like, anyway. The point is, is that you are trying to find ways to express your affection to the one that you love. You are finding ways to not just think it, not just feel it, but actually show it. This is what worship is. It is not enough to just come and sit in a seat. If you are going throughout your week and forgetting showing worship to God by obeying his commands... Where he says, don't, for instance, men, look at a woman lustfully. Because if you've already looked at her lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Or women, don't gossip. Don't be busybodies, right? Or how about this? Chicago land area. Have fun, but don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? These are commands that God gives where he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll show me. But what happened with the Israelites over the course of time is they forgot that they needed to show God that they love him. They thought that it was enough to have God on their lips. Or even, or even find affection for him in their thoughts. And that's, Western American Christianity's downfall. I'm willing to have God as a pleasant thought. I'm even willing to have him on my lips. But as far as showing him the love that I have for him, demonstrating the worship that I have toward him, the service that I have toward him, that's another thing. And when that breaks down, That is metaphorically the breakdown of the altars that we're supposed to have in our hearts for worship before him. 
He said, don't tell me that you love me, but you're constantly backbiting the people around you. Don't tell me that you love me, but you can't submit what you set your eyes upon to me. Don't tell me that you love me, but you can't treat your spouse in a way that honors me. Men, he says this, if I treat my wife harshly, worship breaks down. Do you know that? The worship of God breaks down if I treat my wife harshly. He says, be considerate as you live with your wives as an act of worship. Because if you don't, God won't hear your prayers, men. The altar is broken down. I don't know how many times I've been in a disagreement with B. And I've mistakenly said something in a way that I shouldn't have. And then I'm angry with her and I go back to God in prayer complaining about her. Anybody ever done that before? Not about B, but about somebody else. Okay? <laughs> okay? And before God will respond to me, the word pops in my mind that I don't need to be harsh with her or he's not even having it. Does that make sense? When the altar breaks down, worship breaks down. And the affection that you're supposed to demonstrate toward him ultimately brings an infraction, a break in the relationship. Not permanently, not permanently, but until you repent. Isn't that good news? Because what he's saying here in Deuteronomy is that when all these things come upon you and you blow it, and you take to heart all the things that I've said to you. I'm not talking about the things that are out of your control. I'm talking about the things that are in your control. And the things that are in your control, you realize they're mistakes. And you say, God, I'm sorry. I'm coming back to you. I don't want to live in this land of exile. I don't want to live in this bitterness. I don't want to live in this frustration. I don't want to live without your favor in my life. He says, good, You've ma I've made you a promise that you need to come back to. Deuteronomy 30 needs to be one of your hallmark scriptures. And maybe I'm projecting, but that's okay. It has become one of mine. Saying, when all these things come upon you, not by my doing, God says, but by your own. <laughs> and you're sent into these foreign lands. You wake up and come back to me with all your heart. He said, here's the good news. I got a promise for you. You can rebuild those altars. You can rebuild those altars. And that's the encouragement you need to hear, not at first, but after many years of walking with God. Because it becomes harder to come to God after you've walked with God for a period of time, because you think you should be past certain things. How many people should say amen to that? Uh, okay, come on, let's get, let's get personal and bring out the private things today, okay? <laughs> it becomes harder because when you know you're going to hell, you're happy to receive grace, right? Anybody remember that? Nobody, I say this all the time. I knew I was going to hell. I just needed somebody to tell me how not to. And then somebody preached Jesus to me. I was like, thank you. Where you been all my life? But after I'd walked with God for a period of time, there was something that began to creep in. This subtle self-righteousness. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This little self-righteousness that says, you should be above this. How can you even go back to God having known what you known, you've known for all these years, how do you think he's going to relate to you now? Anybody ever, come on now, I'm trying to be honest. Anybody ever feel that way? How do you feel like he's going to relate to you now when you should have known better? When you should have been past this? When you should have already overcome, right? Well, God's saying, I'm making it very clear how I am going to relate to you. I'm giving you a promise that when you wake up and you come back to me 
and you come back to me with all your heart, I'll restore you to the land. I'll bring you back, and I'll restore the fortunes that I have for you. And matter of fact, I'll make you. Here's the thing now. Anybody have like a good Christian example that maybe is in your life, maybe a parent or maybe a mentor like over the course of the days, you know, or at least Cole? Okay, listen. The thing is, it's like the thing, you, you very specifically, you, you look to them and you're like, man, I want, I want a faith like that, right? Anybody have somebody like that in your life? And you're like, but I, I feel like I've disqualified myself from ever living in that way. Anybody ever, come on now, talk to me. Anybody ever felt this way before? And it's like, here's the promise of God. He's saying, literally, if you come back, I will not only restore your fortunes and you rebuild these altars of worship before me. He said, I'll make you more prosperous and more numerous than your fathers who were before you. So that literally what was their ceiling becomes your floor. And you're able to say God Almighty is able because of his grace to do greater in my time and in my family and in my church and in my city and in this nation than he had many years before. That is the promise that he's giving. He said, if you come back. So many of us have relegated ourselves to just saying, okay, well, I guess this is how I'm going to have to coast in this gear for the rest of my life. And he's like, no, come out. I want to make you more prosperous, more numerous, more fruitful than those even who've gone before you. If you build your life on my promise. Now, this is what the Israelites had to experience whenever they went into exile in Babylon. And again, this is, we're doing a series, but this is just the introduction. Because over the course of many years, what you saw was that the Israelites, they would do right and then they disobey. And we look at that and we're like, man, how often did they go through these cycles? And the answer is as often as you do. <laughs> right? They went through these cycles, discipline, going into exile, and then coming back. One of the last exiles was into a place called Babylon. And a man named Nebuchadnezzar, who was king at the time, was prophesied about by Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the prophets. And as we talked about in the scripture before, the prophets were raised up to turn the people of God back to the law of God, saying the altars have been broken down. You need to return and rebuild them. You need to return and rebuild them. And what we see is that they were exiled in Babylon. And they were exiled in Babylon for far longer than they would have liked because they didn't learn their lessons. When they first got judged, it was for a shorter period of time. And as they persisted in their sin, the times of discipline became longer and longer. Anybody ever noticed that before in your interaction with God? If you learn the lesson quickly, if you learn the lesson that he's trying to teach you quickly, then you can get through it quickly, right? Anybody ever seen that before? But if you become hard-headed, he'll forgive you once. But if you go back to it, then the repercussion of that choice becomes longer and longer that you have to pay for. Does anybody, anybody realize that before? So I keep going back to it. He's like, okay, first, give me one year, give me two years, give me three years, give me four years, give me five years. And then all of a sudden in Babylon, they got 70 years. 70 years of bondage, 70 years of oppression. And Jeremiah the prophet is basically saying, because you let the altars break down, you're going to have 70 years of bondage in the midst of Babylon. Because, just because you won't learn these same lessons that I've been talking to you about. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news, everybody. He wants us to learn the lessons prior to going into bondage, like any good parent would. Isn't that good news? Right? You don't start with your children like, I'm going to spank you. Good morning. You don't start that way, right? You don't say, you know, good morning and like start like reaching for like something. You know, it's like, no. You're like, good morning. How are you? What a good day we're going to have together, right? Right? This is going to be the best day ever. <laughs> and then as things break down throughout the day, <laughs> then you relate appropriately, <laughs> right? Same way with God. God says his mercies are new. How often? 
every morning, right? Every morning he says his mercies are new. That was the case with the Israelites. But what happened is, is that over the course of time, they weren't learning their lesson. So he had to extend the period that they were in exile. And all of a sudden, over that time of exile, they get to a place in Jeremiah 29 that you're familiar with. That you're familiar with. How many of you have read Jeremiah 29 before? Anybody know where we're going? Okay. This is when they were disciplined and in exile. He says this. You're going to be in exile for 70 years. And matter of fact, in Jeremiah... In uh, Jeremiah chapters 25 and Jeremiah chapter 27, it was people trying to convince the Israelites that even though God said you're going to be in exile 70 years, other people would come along as, you know, just good, good word speakers and they'd say, hey, God's not serious. It's going, it's going to, we're, we're about to be out of here. That discipline he was talking about, it's over. We, we're on parole. We get out for good behavior. And you know what Jeremiah said? He said, no, no you don't. <laughs> don't listen to them. God's serious this time. <laughs> he was serious every time. But he's like, I'm serious about those 70 years. Don't think you're just going to get out. I will teach you the way that I have to in this lesson. But I'm going to give you another promise. He said, these are the words, when you're in exile, of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles when they were in Babylon, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. <laughs> this was after King Jeconiah sorry, and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, of Abariah, no, no, okay, anyway, sent to Babylon, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's like a tongue twister, man, okay, but sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Why were they sent into exile? Is our theme of the whole message. Because their altars were broken down. Their worship broke down, okay? It wasn't random. It didn't just happen for no reason. It's because their worship broke down. So they're in exile. And he says, here's what you're to do there. <laughs> here's what you're to do here. He said, don't resist it. Don't resist the discipline. But build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Meaning stop being a wanderer. Plant yourself where the Lord has you. Stop trying to run if you get disciplined or your eyes are open to the, way, the reason that our lives were going in a certain trajectory for a moment. He says stop wandering around trying to find a better word. Trying to find a better reason, a better solution. Somebody who's just going to tickle your ears or tell you how everything's going to be okay without actually restoring the altars of God in your life. When God puts you in a place and he says, submit to this, submit to rebuilding the altars in your life. Stay in that place and build, um, um, build houses for yourself. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Why? Because you're going to be here for a while. Take wives for your sons and give them to your daughters in marriage. God thinking multi-generationally, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. How many people know that even in God's hand of discipline, there is multiplication? Grace, he says, if you submit to me, I'll multiply you even in the midst of discipline. He said, and seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So all of a sudden they found themselves in exile in this oppressive nation, Babylon. And God's saying, hey, listen, settle down there, submit to my discipline and then start blessing the city that you're in. The first way that you can start rebuilding your altar is wake up, return to me and worship, and then start blessing the city that you find yourself in. Start blessing it. Practically, right? He says practically. Try to do something that reflects me where you are. Why? Because if you do something outwardly, something will start to change inwardly. Make sense? If you do something outwardly, something will start to change inwardly. 
What do I mean by that practically? I mean that, number one, you don't need to just say, I repent. God, I'm coming back to your ways. You need to say, God, I'm here. What do you want me to do that reflects you? What do you want me to do where I am, where you've planted me, that actually is going to help me worship you and show my love for you? It's not enough that you just pray a sinner's prayer. It's not enough that you just repent. You need to get back into the game and say, God, I'm showing my love for you in this act of worship. This is how I'm rebuilding my altar. What's an example of that? Practically, what did we just talk about? It was in announcements. We talked about many things, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a Karis Banks, right? Is that not a practical way you can bless the city? Or how many people have talked to me before about something like this? When you got touched by God, you want to give back by actually investing in teenagers' lives. How many people have ever talked to me before about wanting to work with youth, okay, or having a heart for youth, okay? I see some of your hands not lifted. That's fine. I know you, and I'm coming back for you. You know why? Because here in this school, there is something called Young Life that's meeting, and there are a bunch of kids who are affected by the exilic repercussions of families that aren't worshiping God. And they're waiting to be reached. And you know what happens? There are people of God raised up to reach them because they're looking to bless the city that they're in. Next week, we're going to have somebody come who's actually working in Lincoln Park High School, has open doors, invited by the school to come during school hours to reach out to the people in the school with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be, as a church, given the opportunity to join them in their outreach to the people of this school. So that literally, when God's saying, look for the welfare of the city, we can start with those who need it most. The most vulnerable, the next generation, right? He's saying, literally, you have an opportunity to volunteer with these young people in a structured manner spreading the good news of the gospel. And this school reaches to the north side, the south side, and the west side. Did you know that? This school. It's an international baccalaureate school, which means you pull people from all over the city. And because we're reaching people from all over the city, it's not just the teenagers, bless God, that are going to be reached, but their families as well. Isn't that what God said? Hey, you believe, and both you and your household will be saved. Is that not an expression of rebuilding altars in our lives? He said, seek the welfare of the city. How many people have ever been annoyed by a teenager in this city? <laughs> yes! Yes! And he's like, give them grace just like you receive grace. Seek the welfare of this city. Why? in the place where I've sent you, and pray to the Lord on its, for, on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In the city's welfare, you will find your welfare. Stop complaining about what's going on. Don't be a pundit, he said. Rebuild those altars. Worship me through outward expression. Seek the welfare of the city, and I'll start to bring you back into the land that I actually promised you. It's a promise. But I tell you, it's not going to be just my promise, but it's going to be through provision. Let's go on to the next verse, verse 8. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. He says, For it is a lie that they have been prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. He says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. What place? The place of worship. He says, For I know, this is what everybody's familiar with, for I know the plans I have for you. But this was the context of it, right? How many people um, enjoy taking scripture out of context? <laughs> okay, okay, this was actually the context for it. You're in exile. You're being punished for an extended period of time because of this cycle of sin. But I'm giving you a promise. I'm going to bring you back. And now, let's read. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Isn't that good news? 
God's heart is always kind towards you, even in discipline. He says, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes. What type of language is this? This is the language of Deuteronomy. He said, I've already made a promise to you. I said, when you blow it and you come back to me, I make a promise to you. Okay, we're at the point now, after many generations, you've blown it. You're in Babylon. So let me remind you of that which I've already promised you. I will be found by you, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. (laughs) He said, I'm going to bring you back. That's my promise. But you've got to rebuild the altar in your heart and begin to worship me, not just inwardly, not just nominally, but outwardly. But outwardly. And here's the good news. Here's where we land. It's through my provision. It is not in your own strength. It's through my provision. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. We always talk about Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And I love that story. It just ministers to me continually because of the life I came out of. But in Jesus' provision, he says this. He says, as you're rebuilding the altar, even in the Old Testament, I had to bring them back to a physical place for worship. But the good news is that in the New Testament, there is no more temple, right? There is no temple that we go back to to worship. But we, in fact, become the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you are born again, he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you yourself become the temple This is why the good news is iterated by Billy Graham in this way. God rest his soul. He says, remember, he, meaning God, wants your fellowship. And he has done everything possible to make it a reality. He has forgiven your sins at the cost of his own dear son. He has given you his word and the priceless privilege of prayer and worship to rebuild those altars. Elizabeth Elliot, who we referenced last week, actually talked about worship in this way, but prior to even Jesus, um, us mentioning what Jesus said, she said this, this worship that he's bringing you back to, she said, here's the good news. Worship, when you're rebuilding these altars, is not going to be just an experience. How many people have ever relegated to to that before? as an experience, almost like you go to a worship concert. How many people have been to a worship concert before? You know what I'm talking about? It's sort of like, ooh, wow, I've got the, will it, you know? And it's sort of like, okay, I met with God. Well, how about this? That's not what worship is relegated to. Worship is not just an experience. She says, worship is an act, and this takes discipline. This takes discipline. For God to rebuild altars in your life and to relate to him properly, it's going to take discipline. We are to worship in spirit and in truth. Never mind about the feelings. I love it. Anybody like that? Never mind about the feelings, emo generation. She said, we are to worship in spite of them. Will that not get you over the hump? Hello? Will that not get you over the hump if you begin to worship God, not in the midst of your feelings only, but in spite of them? Saying, God, I'm going to worship you in spirit and in truth. What do you mean by spirit? It's your provision. When I'm born again, I'm given the provision of the Holy Spirit, which enables me with liberty, freedom, and power to declare his praise to declare his goodness, to interact with him, to hear from him, to experience his love. How many people enjoy that? Well, if you haven't yet, I'm inviting you into it. It's what he has for you. And it's not just in the spirit, but he says also in truth. Let's look at what Jesus said, and then we're done. The woman, meaning the Samaritan woman, 419, John chapter 419, said to him, Sir, I perceive, I perceive when you've read my mail that you are a prophet. 
She said, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. That place that God was bringing them back to in the Old Testament to reestablish those altars. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, to rebuild this altar, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, by the Holy Spirit, and in truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So you have the Spirit of God and the Word of God enabling us to say, God, how do you want to receive worship? In spirit and in truth. How can I rebuild these altars? By saying, God, fill me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And teach me your truth. Because you have a way that you want to be worshipped. I need to stop making stuff up. Amen to that? I need to stop just saying, this is how I do Christianity. Hello? This is how I serve God. I do it in my own way. It's a private thing. So private that God doesn't even know about it. Right? It's sort of like, listen. God's like, do it the way I said to do it. In spirit and in truth. Because this is what the Father is seeking. These are the types of people that God is looking to worship Him. So as we go in the next several weeks, what we're going to talk about is Ezra coming back into the land and teaching the people to rebuild the altars. Looking ahead in Jesus to rebuild an atmosphere, a nation of worship who would worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to order my life and my time, my resources, my talents around his spirit and his truth? Because this is what he came to give us. If my altars have been broken down today, it's okay. He said, I told you so. But now come back. See, this isn't talking to just people who've never known God. It's talking to people who have known God and have actually walked with God. And something happened. The altars of worship got broken down. Do you know that God cares just as much for you today as he did when you first made the decision for him? And he wants to make sure that those altars of worship are reestablished, that he can bring you back into the land. Even if you find yourself metaphorically distant from him, he says, I'm not distant at all. You call upon me, I'll hear you and bring you back. Through Jesus his everlasting son. Amen? All right, that's just an introduction. Worship team, let's come on up. This is where we're going over the next several weeks.